An 83-year-old 7-7 tie with Wisconsin does not the stuff of legend make. What I just told you was a lie. The final one in Auburn's current 1-2-1 record versus the Badgers was instantly the stuff of legend in a completely underrated and barely even remembered chapter in Auburn's big game history. Chances are you've never heard about it, but leading up to the 1931 season, it was all anyone in Auburn was talking about. For starters, it was Auburn's first real intersectional game in five years. Or eight years, depending on who was writing. Half the people previewing the Wisconsin game seemed to have forgotten about Auburn's 1926 game versus Marquette, what with it being played in Auburn and against, you know, Marquette. As far as some papers were concerned, Auburn's last tangle with Yankees was the 1923 Army game at West Point. But these weren't just any Yankees. This was Wisconsin. And in the early 30s, Wisconsin was nothing to sneeze at. In the early 30s, Wisconsin was doing the sneezing and anything else it wanted to do. Auburn was literally going up against the big boys. Whatever they were feeding them up in the Badger State in the Depression years was working. Actual quote from the Plainsman, The Badgers were the heaviest team encountered by the Plainsmen during the year, all of their players being well-proportioned and adapted physically for the game of football. So yeah, the well-proportioned Badgers were figuratively and literally throwing their weight around the mighty Midwest. Now sure, the 1931 squad's 6-4 final record may not seem that impressive, but those four losses were close losses and to perennial powerhouses. They'd gone 6-1-1 the previous season, tying Ohio State, losing by one point to Purdue, back when you did not want to play Purdue, and by 13 to co-Big Ten champs Northwestern, which Wisconsin head coach Glenn F. Thistlewaite had coached to a conference championship a few years earlier. In 1928, they went 7-1-1, Minnesota kept them from claiming the Big Ten championship by a measly six points, but not before the Badgers took out Michigan, Chicago, Iowa, even Newt Rockney's Notre Dame, which would win the national championship in the following year. Oh, and Alabama. Yes, the mighty Crimson Tide had invaded Wisconsin three years earlier. It did not end well. The Badgers well proportioned the hell out of them, 15 to zip. And what with it being a time when pure poundage was still one of the primary predictors of victory, they expected to do the same to Auburn. In fact, the word from Madison was that Wisconsin basically deemed it a glorified practice game. The icing on a cupcake trifecta. Bradley Polytechnic from Illinois, North Dakota State, and Alabama Polytechnic from some one-horse southern burg called Auburn. Auburn was a three-touchdown underdog. Some said four. A poly-whatever school from the south with not even 2,000 students versus a major Midwest university with a total enrollment of nearly 10,000? A school so big was discussing building a university city to make sure there were enough toilets for everyone? Auburn hadn't a chance. But hey, at least it might teach the scrawny little scrappers some solid life lessons. Toughen them up for next week's game versus Georgia Tech. Even API president and Auburn superfan Bradford, they almost named a stadium after him Nap, thought the best anyone could hope for was just for no one to get hurt. Just just to be proud of them. Here's Nap. The team leaves on Thursday for a great expedition. I sincerely wish it were possible for many of us to go with them. I know that they are going to have to exert all their strength, skill, and determination within their power. We hope equally as strongly that they will learn out of their experience at the Wisconsin game to have the courage to face Tech on the Saturday following with a fixed determination to win the game. I do sincerely pray that nobody will be injured at the Wisconsin game. I wish I could announce that I'm going with the team. I would give a great deal to go, but money is tremendously scarce, and there are so many things which need my attention here that I have hesitated to make the decision. If I thought it meant any real difference to the team, I would be willing to make the sacrifice, but I feel the boys know I am with them always in the spirit of the game. 
They're a fine bunch of fellows, and I think we should always be proud of them. In the end, 31 players made the trip up to Madison, including future All-American Auburn's first, Jimmy Hitchcock, and senior starting center Ralph Lefty Jordan. All of them perfect gentlemen. Yes, a railroad official was so impressed by the social graces of the Auburn team as they wound their way toward certain defeat, he was compelled to write Knapp a letter. I have accompanied many football teams, wrote J.O. Linton, the district passenger agent for the Illinois Central Railroad, but can say to you without hesitancy that I have never traveled with a finer and better behaved crowd of boys than on this trip. Charles F. DeBartelaben, Birmingham Cole Baron and Auburn Booster, his brother Henry played on Auburn's first football team, also rode with the team, boarding the train in Birmingham, and was equally complimentary of the team's behavior. I've never seen a squad of college boys conduct themselves in such a gentlemanly manner, and I'm sure everyone who came in contact with them couldn't help from being impressed with the boys and the college they represent, he wrote Knapp. There wasn't a moment during the trip that I wasn't proud of them. With coaches and a few sports writers, the Dixie delegation totaled 38. They stopped in Chicago to see the sights. They got in some practice at Loyola. Then it was time. The game was cold, wet, bleak, and primitive. Three yards in a mist of mud. It rained the whole 60 minutes, but the first half might as well have been played in a drought compared to the second. Rain started to fall in sheets as the teams came out for the second half. When the, pl when the Plainsman's boring play-by-play -play decides you need to know it was raining, then it was really, really raining. The field was sludge. Auburn didn't budge. They went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Big Ten Titans, and by they, I mean just 14 players. Due to a lack of depth, the Tigers were pretty banged up. Second-year coach Chet Wynn substituted just twice. Meanwhile, the box score shows Glenn F. Thistleweight substituting liberally, keeping his Huskies fresh. Auburn's line played the entire game, the whole dang game. And they never let Wisconsin cross the goal line, not from scrimmage at least. The Badgers' lone touchdown came on a 100-yard return of the second half's opening kickoff. But the dude missed the extra point. And if Auburn hadn't been offsides, the series might be tied up because dude made the second kick. And because a couple of drives later, after taking a timeout because Suge was injured, he fought through the pain just like that time in Germany and stayed in, the Tigers took it in for a touchdown. Jimmy Hitchcock, two yards. He kicked the extra point, too. Tie a game. Final score, 7-7. Seven to seven. From that moment on, the 1931 Auburn Tigers, or at least the 14 who fought Wisconsin, were dubbed the Iron Man. Sure, it was a fairly common appellation given football squads who beat the odds without reinforcements, but the papers still couldn't get over the Iron Men from Auburn, who had fought gallantly against a much heavier Wisconsin combine, holding up the prestige of the South in football. As the Glomerata put it, the only thing Auburn did was startle the universe. Not even Bama could contain its congratulations for good old Auburn, deeming the daring defenders of Southern honor the most thrilling team from below the Mason-Dixon line. Good old Auburn, hounded, harassed, mutilated through five seasons of constant gridiron catastrophes, came back with startling suddenness up in Wisconsin, tying the great Badger machine 7-7 to, to furnish the greatest thrill of any team from below the Mason-Dixon line. Using only 14 football players, employing not a single substitution in the forward wall, Auburn battled their way to moral victory over a constant string of reinforcements. Our congratulations, Tiger. Carry on. People in Auburn only learned about the Iron Men after stupid Game 7 of the World Series was over. That's what WAPI went with instead of the Auburn-Wisconsin game. Sheer madness. 
An occasional summary of the action was read during the commercials, but the full play-by-play wasn't broadcast until the Cardinals beat the A's. But since the team wouldn't be arriving, very courteously, back in town until Sunday night, there was plenty of time to prep the celebration. It was epic. We came back to Opelika on the train, the Seminole, and had the biggest welcoming party to ever greet an Auburn team up to that time. Shug reminisced years later, usually we had to catch rides back to Auburn, and this time I remember looking out the back window of the car and seeing nothing but headlights stretching all the way back to Opelika. Those headlights stretched back eight whole miles. It was 3,000 people's worth of Ford Model A's and whatever else people drove back then. That's how many were waiting on the boys at the station. It was the biggest train greeting crowd ever in Obelika. Way bigger than even the one former President Taft had gotten a few years earlier. The return trip was wild. Guys were riding on the running boards, almost getting run over, almost dying, not caring. That's the only thing Knapp felt the need to complain about when the excitement died down. Finally, the Iron Men arrived back on campus where a mammoth bonfire leaped high in acclamation of Auburn's return to the realm of the mighty. The word frenzy showed up a lot in the coverage of the celebration. The band raised the dead. People screamed. They shouted, War Eagle. Players got up and thanked everyone. At least that's what people guessed they were saying. It was too hard to hear. Even one of the sports writers who rode with the Warriors up to Wisconsin got up to proclaim that what the Iron Men from Auburn did to the Badgers was one of the damnedest things he ever saw. Knapp, apparently, could barely contain himself. He couldn't find the words to describe how proud he was that 14 not-heavy kids from Auburn had held their ground against a great university with thousands of students and with heavy and powerful men and a large amount of money with which to hire coaches. That they had, it meant that the old traditions and real Auburn spirit were back. Here's Knapp. There is an extremely great feeling of elation in Auburn. I am unable to find adequate words to describe the supreme sense of satisfaction there is in knowing that team of ours acquitted itself so magnificently in the game with Wisconsin. I'm sure that the defense and the offense of this lighter team against a great university with thousands of students and with heavy and powerful men and a large amount of money with which to hire coaches is coming back to the old traditions and real Auburn spirit. To name the list of these heroes would be to put down the names of all the 14. They were everyone's stars. The stories about that game will accumulate as the days go by. Now we can sing glory, glory, dear old Auburn with a new spirit and with a new understanding. Beat Wisconsin. All right, I originally wrote that just before the 2015 Outback Bowl, which obviously did not go exactly how we'd wanted. But uh, hey, still, you cannot deny the legacy of the Iron Man from Auburn. If you would like to keep more content like that coming, please consider supporting my work via Patreon. That would be P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the War Eagle Reader. You can get exclusive content and you'll get uh, you'll get free books once they start coming and they will. War Eagle, thanks for listening.